I'm in love with my Savior, and He's in love with me. He is with me from day to day, what a friend is He. Watches over me while I sleep, hears me when I pray. I'm as happy as I can be, now I can say. Somebody loves me and he answers my prayers. I love somebody, I know he cares. Somebody tells me not to repine. That somebody is Jesus and I know he's mine. Then at last when our work is done, He will call us home To the mansion He has prepared, nevermore to roam We'll sit down by the riverside, cares all passed away And with never a pain to bear, what a happy day Somebody loves me and He answers my prayers I love somebody, I know he cares. Somebody tells me not to repine. That somebody is Jesus and I know he's mine. Somebody loves me and he answers my prayers. I love somebody, I know he cares. Somebody tells me not to repine That somebody is Jesus and I know he's mine That somebody is Jesus and I know he's mine Amen. I hope indeed you know that he's yours. That's so important, so, so important. All right, take your Bible. Turn over to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 6 to kick things off today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. The Bible tells us over there in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. <clears throat> in 2011, an 84-year-old man named Henry Morello he was driving north, on, uh, north of Phoenix, Arizona, when he realized that he was heading in the wrong direction. When he tried to turn around, he got stuck in a ditch. Uh, he realized at that point he was unable to walk to the main road or to get help. And as a result, he spent five days trapped in his car. To stay alive, he took a rock and he cracked open the wiper fluid container in his car and he drank the fluid. He even read his car manual. He almost read it completely by the time they found him. After he was rescued, doctors were amazed to find him in such good condition. Now, it's interesting that Henry Morello got so thirsty he was willing to drink. Well, windshield washer fluid. 
But you know what? It's interesting when we get thirsty enough, well, we'll do about anything, especially if our life depends on it. You know, that's the level of desire that should characterize our walk with God when it comes to thirst. We should have such a desire and such a thirst for God that, well, nothing else tops it. You know, the interesting thing as we read in the book of Matthew is that he promises that if we'll thirst after him to that degree, that we'll be rewarded for it. Again, he says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's nobody more righteous than God, right? We hunger and we thirst for a number of things, don't we? A good meal. We, we hunger for a good meal. We uh, hunger and thirst for maybe a particular drink or something that you really enjoy, and you'll get to the point where, boy, I tell you what, you just got to have it. A satisfying relationship. People hunger and thirst for that. An attaboy or an girl, so to speak. They hunger and thirst for those things. Approval from a parent or a loved one. A successful career. Money or things. I mean, there is just a myriad of things that we hunger and that we thirst for. And if we were honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit that is the case and that is desperately true in our lives. We hunger and we thirst for so many things. But the most needful, the most important, the most significant thirst that we ought to have ought to be for our Creator and our God. It should be for the one who gave His life for us on Calvary, who literally shed His precious, perfect blood on our behalf. We must hunger and thirst after Jesus Christ above all else. So it all begins with a relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Turn if you would to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Well, these are some powerful verses right here. This verse is so powerful. And it's so descriptive. It details the character of our Savior and His desire and love for us. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. You talk about someone that gave himself on your behalf, someone that literally sacrificed for you. The fact is, is that Jesus Christ, who was rich and had all things at his disposal, became poor for you and for me. Isn't that wonderful? We need to get to know him as our Lord and Savior. Turn if you would to Isaiah 55. We talk about this thirst. But it begins long before we ever come to know Jesus Christ. We have to ultimately have a thirst for God, a thirst for the Lord Jesus in the beginning. It has to start with a relationship. Notice it says in Isaiah 55, and we'll be given a kind of an a invitation, if you will. He says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Isaiah 55, 1. 
Notice again, everyone that, is, that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, well, that's Baptist. Come ye, buy and eat. Buy and eat, how are you going to do that? Well, you can buy and eat without money. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. It's all available to you in Jesus Christ, but you have to come to him. You got a thirst. The only way that thirst will be satisfied is through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Within the heart of all mankind, there's an emptiness, there's a void that exists, and only Jesus can fill that void. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, the Master says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So it all begins with a relationship. This morning, I don't know where you stand with God. I don't know if you were raised in a Christian home. I'm not sure if you've even gone to church that awfully much. But what I know is this, yet you have a void in your heart. There's an emptiness that exists within your being, and only Jesus Christ can fill. He's the only one that can do that in your life. And you can search out the world, and you can go from person to person seeking love, but my friend, only the love of Christ will truly make the difference in your life. Only He can satisfy and fulfill you like you need to be in order to find contentment and purpose and peace. So it begins with a relationship. You have to thirst for Him. Then we become a child of God. And you know what? The thirsting doesn't stop now. It only continues. And it continues. It ought to grow in our life, this thirst for Him. So how do we develop a thirst for God? I'm concerned today because I'm not convinced that there's a thirst for God. And may I say that I recognize a lack of thirst at times in my own life. And if I struggle at times, I'm sure there are other people that do too. Man, I'll tell you what, there's so many reasons why that's the case. But can I tell you, the fact is, one way or the other, we have to develop a thirst for Christ. A thirst for God. It begins, obviously, by being saved, but it doesn't end there. We must continue to develop that thirst. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you three things to do to develop a thirst for God today. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, bless this time together. Again, we are grateful for every soul that's represented in this congregation today. We're grateful for just the privilege that we have to gather and hear from your blessed book, the Word of God. Lord, today there are those that need Christ, that are gathered even in this room today. There are those that are in need of a relationship with the Lord Jesus, to be born again into the family of God. And yet, there are those that have already been. And Lord, in each case, we need a thirst. Pray you put a thirst in our heart for you. But Lord, there's also a responsibility that we have to develop that thirst. God, help us to put ourselves in a place where we get thirsty, and that you become everything you should be in our life. Now bless us in these next few moments, and may you be glorified in it. And Lord, again, if there be anyone that has yet to receive and accept you, may they do so before it's eternally too late. And then for we who have trusted and received you, may we recognize the need for that relationship to grow, and that will only happen if our thirst for you grows. So help us to develop that thirst. Take steps that are necessary to do just that. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Every one of us in the room knows we need a thirst for God. We know that we ought to have a desire for the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we know that probably here. 
So how do you get that? How do you develop this thirst? I mean, how do I get to the place where I want Jesus Christ in my life, and I want him to be, have a, a, a place in my life that literally impacts my daily walk with him, where he makes a difference? Well, we need to develop a thirst for God. First of all, and, and you're going to say, man, I have heard this over and over. You are, you're going to say that. Some of you are going to be all, well, here we go again. Same old, same old. Yeah, unfortunately, it's the same old, same old in our lives too. See, it's not the truths that we need often. It's the application of the truth. I just want to encourage you to at least take the time to say, okay, Lord, if any of this applies to me, then let it apply. Let me receive it and let me apply it to my life. Let me not down talk the pastor and say, man, he's just too simple. It's always the same message. I'm going to take it and I'm going to apply it to my life today. And if I haven't done that yet, today's the day I begin because I need a thirst for you like never before. And the truth is we do. In an age and a day in which we live where there's such an anti-attitude toward God and toward the things of Christ, somebody needs to have a thirst for Him and a passion for Christ. So here it is. Number one, spend time with God. Spend time with Him. You say, ah, see, there you go. I know. Turn to Psalm chapter 42. And if you're like my wife, my wife's going right now, she's going, Mark, nobody's saying that. And I know how my wife is. She's like, nobody's really saying that. And you know what? Maybe nobody is, but I don't want you to ever get to the place where you do either. Psalm chapter 42, verse 1. Look at the psalmist. Look what he says. He says, as the heart panted after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Isn't that something? Man, a desire, a longing for the Lord, a desire and a longing for God, a thirst for God, a hunger for God, but a desire to spend time with Him. You know, at this point, I think it's important that we consider what might keep us from spending time with God. Now, I think that's important. What might keep us from spending time with God? Well, let me give you the big, big one. And this one you already know, so don't shut me down yet, because I got others I think you'll be surprised I share. First of all, sin. Sin will keep us from spending time with Him. Look, if you would, in John chapter 3, verse 18. <clears throat> John chapter 3, verse 18. Now, although this is the most common one and you are aware of it, I'll tell you why you're aware of it, because it is indeed the most common one. It's the one that we address and we have to deal with most often. It's the thing that does hinder and hamper our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ more than any other. Sin. John chapter 3, verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because they're what? Deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's a mouthful right there. And basically, when you boil that all down, it's as simple as this. Is that in my heart of hearts and in my flesh, in my most inner being, there's still that old man. And that old man loves the darkness. And he likes to be able to kind of, kind of like a snake's kind of, you know, just kind of slither through life and be in the darkness and in the shadows and in the corners. He doesn't want light to be shed on him because down deep he knows he's wicked and he knows he's sinful and he knows it's going to reveal flaws in his life when the light hits him. And so, boy, it's a lot easier just to stay out of the light. It's a lot easier just to meander about aimlessly in darkness because at least I don't have to face who and what I really am. But if you're going to get in God's presence, guess what? He said when he was on the earth, I am the light of the world. And may I say that although he may not be on earth today, his word is there and he is here in his presence. And I can tell you this, that the light of the Lord Jesus Christ will shine on you and it'll shine on me and it'll truly transform our life if we'll let it. But however, if we'll hide from the light, (laughs) nothing will change. Sin will keep us from spending time with him. You know what another thing will keep us from spending time with him? Our circumstance. You know, we get distracted, discouraged, and even depressed. And when that happens, our eyes get diverted away from Jesus Christ. Turn if you would to Hebrews chapter 12. This verse doesn't necessarily apply directly, but indirectly, and it's somewhat of an inspirational aspect it does. But notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. As you're turning, I'll begin, and I'll read slowly until you catch up, but it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews. He goes on to say, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know that God has a race for you to run. He's got a race for me to run. What that means is God, you have a God-ordained purpose for existing. And sadly enough, most believers and most people will never ever truly arrive at understanding what their God-given purpose is. We'll go about doing what the world says we ought to do. We'll go about doing what our family says we ought to do. We'll go about doing what is, seems right and natural and normal in the world in which we live. But may I say, God has defined and God has determined that there's something unique and special for you. He says, there's a race for you to run. And I outline that race in the Word of God, and then that's my will for you. And then I also get specific with my plan in your life. But we get distracted, discouraged, and even depressed. And when that happens, the first part of verse 2 does not happen. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let me tell you something. It's hard to get into God's presence when our circumstances are overwhelming us, when we feel like the world is weighing on us heavy, when we find ourselves so busy and so 
active that we fail to take time to enter his presence. Circumstance. That'll keep us from spending time with him. By the way, can I tell you this? I don't know what you're going through in your life. Maybe it's hurt and heartache. Maybe you've gone through a very difficult loss. Maybe you've lost a job or lost a loved one or lost a friend. Maybe you have been dealing with death in your family or maybe you've gotten a bad, uh, bad word from the doc. I don't know what it is, but can I tell you, he is the only one that can truly meet your need. He's the only one that can provide you with the peace and the comfort that you crave. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4, the Bible says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation. Man, that's God that does that. And I like somebody to call me and say, Oh, brother, listen, I'm praying for you. Man, that's encouraging, but I'll tell you what. That don't keep me asleep at night. What keeps me asleep at night is Him. When I'm woken up in the middle of the night and my mind is spinning and my, my heart is in a rage, I tell you, Jesus is the only one that can put the balm of Gilead upon it and calm me. He's the only one that can say, peace, be still. Oh, others are so encouraging and so helpful, but let's be honest, no one but Jesus can truly bring the comfort that we need in those kind of times. In 1 Peter 5, 7, the Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Man, circumstance can keep us from spending time with him. But usually, spending time is exactly what we need. What's another thing that will keep us from spending time with him? Feelings of inadequacy. Feelings of inadequacy can do that. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 4. Can I tell you that sometimes we get to a place in our lives where we feel, and may I say it's important to recognize that word, a four-letter word. There is probably no worse four-letter word in the English language anymore that's derailing people, their lives, their marriages, and their homes than the word F-E-E-L, feel. Feelings are deceptive. Notice... You can feel inadequate when it comes to God. You can feel like you don't deserve to be in His presence. You can feel like He would want nothing at all to do with you. You can feel like, I'm a big zero. I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. Why would God want anything to do with me? And it'll keep you from spending time with Him, possibly. But remember, it's only feeling that's keeping you from him. Because notice what Galatians 4, 6, and 7 says, if you know Christ as your Savior. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And not only are you worthy to be in the presence of God, you are His Son, He is your Father, but you are also worthy of the heirship that He will provide for you. Man, it's not just a matter of on earth. You're going to have God that you can turn to and go to and spend time with. No, you'll be with Him forever. Well, I'm just not worthy. Well, that's your feelings talking. Because that is not what the Bible teaches 
You know, the Bible teaches, it says that you have full access to God. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 4.16, the Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, you have every right to enter into His presence. Spend time with the Father. He wants to hear from you, and He wants to be with you, and He wants to spend time together. But feelings of inadequacy will sometimes keep us from coming to Him and spending time with Him. And finally, let me just say this one last one as we address this issue of spending time with Him. What will keep us from that? I believe growing weary and well-doing will do that. When we grow weary and well-doing. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says, And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Can I tell you that the disciples grew weary as well? Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26, verse 40. Matthew 26, verse 40. I'm talking about the disciples now. I'm talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and those guys. I'm talking about those guys. You know, the ones who walked with Jesus Christ and talked with Jesus Christ and lived with Jesus Christ. I know there was the three that went with him further in the garden, but notice these disciples who didn't. In Matthew 26, 40 and 41, notice he comes and he says, He cometh unto the disciples, chapter 26, verse 40 and 41 of Matthew. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can I tell you that one of the reasons, as we've mentioned already, that we, that we find ourselves not spending time with Him is that we've grown weary in well-doing. We've gotten tired and we've gotten wore out. And it may not, listen, listen, let's stop blaming the church for wearing us out. Let's just stop that right now. Yeah, like my, my mama used to say sometimes, shame on you. We're working our heads off. We're running and ramming. We're taking the kids to basketball, football, baseball, and everything else. Man, we're going to the swimming pool during the week, and we're doing high dives off the high dive. And then all of a sudden, the church, which is tearing me and my family up. We don't have time to even be together. Well, why don't you quit your job? You'll spend plenty of time together. Well, I got to feed my family. It's an obligation. Well, first of all, God's obligated to take care of your family if you'll be obedient to Him. But I promise you this, probably more than not, there's plenty of other things that could go before God's house goes. I guarantee you that. And before your Bible reading ends, and before your prayer time stops, and before your family devotions are out the window, why don't we turn the TV off for 15 minutes? Why don't we take our phones and set them down a few minutes? Why don't we get rid of that laptop and slide it over here for just a few minutes? I'm just saying, let's be honest and let's quit playing games. God knows and we know both. There's plenty of time we have. We just don't always spend it right. Now see, that's the preaching part. We grow weary in well-doing, however, though. We may even be doing the right things. We may be doing things that are commendable. We may be doing things that are kind and considerate of others. But we get so busy, so taken in every, all the activity that we find ourselves weary. We may even find ourselves serving the Lord. 
We have to stop long enough to pray and say, Lord, I can't do it without you. Well, I'll tell you what, if we don't spend time with him, it's going to be hard to develop a thirst. You know, when I, when I first met my wife, you know, and I, I, I didn't meet her really this time, but I saw her from a distance. I, I still remember when I was, uh, I headed off to college for the first time. I was going to the University of Akron, and uh, um, I had gone to welding school already for a year, and I got all that, but then there was no jobs in the time, back in those days, uh, like there are today, signs everywhere, but uh, there was no jobs. I had one job offer making $6 an hour, and I was a certified welder at the time. It's like, forget that dude, you know, whatever. Six bucks, I can work at McDonald's for that almost. Well, he couldn't really at that time. But anyway, <laughs> but I thought, I'm just going to go to school. I mean, who in the world wants to be overhead welding? Who wants to be doing and slags dropping down the back of your neck, burning your back? You know? And then I'm working with an arc welder, and I hate electricity. I don't even like getting shocked, let alone dealing with 110 or 120 or 220, whatever it is. So I decided I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go to college, man. I'm going to get me a job where I can sit at a desk and kick my feet up. That's going to be me. I am going to be a professional. So I went to college. And while I was at college, there was one thing that happened to me other than going in the military after that. (laughs) I saw my wife for the first time, really. For the first time, I saw her. At the time, obviously, she wasn't my wife. But I saw her. From a distance, I was in the cafeteria. My brother and I were sitting there. We were talking about some things, and I looked across, and I saw some old friends from high school, and I was like, yeah, those are the jocks. Those are the guys that think they're so cool. Yeah, look at them over there. And guess what I saw? A rapture of beauty. (laughs) This vision, it was like a mirage in the desert. And I said, do you know her? And my brother said, oh, yeah. She goes to the church. You got to understand, I was singing in a group, and we were traveling all the time, singing everywhere. So I wasn't at church. I was at churches across whatever. But anyway, I didn't see her. I've never been to, I wasn't seen her at church. I've, and there she is. I'm like, you kidding me? She goes to the church? You guys go, you kidding me? No, she does. I said, what's her name? Sherry. Not bad. <laughs> I like what I'm seeing here. Stop. Stop. I go in the military. Three years passes. And I start going back to church now. I'm not in a group or nothing. I just go back to church. And I'm back to church where my parents go to church, and it just happens to guess who's in the singles class? Sherry is. All right. And you know what the amazing thing was? She must have been thinking about me for years because she invited me out. Her and her girlfriend invited me and my friend over. My wife will deny it. She'll say, I never asked you over. My friend asked us over. I didn't do it, and she didn't really. I'll give her credit for that, but I still like to say that she did because I didn't ask her out. She asked me over to the house. Her friend did. The rest is history, but can I tell you what happened? 
I got to seeing her a little bit, hanging out with her some. And you know what happened? The more time I spent with her, the more beautiful she looked to me, the more wonderful she seemed to me. And I knew my life would never be the same. Can I tell you that's how it is with Jesus? We got to spend time with him. Because when you spend time with him, you can't help but notice how wonderful he is, how lovely he is, and how he can meet every need in your life. We have to develop a thirst. And the first thing we need to do to develop a thirst for God is to spend time with him. Number two, once we spend time, we got to get to know him. And that kind of on the heels of that illustration, get to know him. Now, I've been with people, you've been with people, and we've been hanging around them before and never knew a thing about them, but it isn't until you make a conscious effort to get to know them that you really learn who they are. When I was, when I was a teenager, you ever been here? Okay, and I, maybe you've never been here, but, you know, you got the best-looking girls in school, right? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows. I'd probably go back to junior high, and some of you'd go, oh, I know their names. Sorry, wives, but that's true. But anyway, uh, so they go back and you say, oh, those, those good-looking girls. And remember, here's the deal. I used to think the best-looking girls in school, oh, that girl on television over there, if she only knew me the way I know me, if she only knew the real me, she'd be with me instead of that loser. She only got to know me a little bit better. You've never felt that way, right? My dad told me one time something. He said, "Uh, I never worried about any of those people, them dumb people on television, because I knew there's never a chance, so why even think about it? And I said, good advice. I had to abide by that. But you know what? If only they knew me better. If that guy or gal knew me, if that guy right over there knew me better, he'd be a, a, he'd be a friend to me because he'd know I'm a good friend too. You know what I'm saying? Can I tell you that you've got to get to know Jesus before you can really benefit from him the way he intends you to? Turn to Psalm 63, 1 through 5. Psalm chapter 63, verses 1 through 5. Again, the psalmist here is going to say a few words for us in verses 1 through 5. Notice what he says. We're going to move quickly over these next two points. So here we go. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. How lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. You say, what are you, what's it telling you? I mean, I'm not seeing it. You got to get to know him. And in the passage, notice it says right off the bat in verse 1, he says he's going to, he says, early will I seek thee. Early 
You know what he's saying? In the privacy of your own home, you personally seeking him, thirsting after him. Get to know him personally. Get to know him in the privacy of your own home. Open up your Bible and with a purpose, not just to do your duty, but to truly learn more about him. He says, learn of me. Learn about him. Get to know him in the privacy of your own home. Well, I go to church for that. It's not enough. If you want to develop a thirst for God, you're going to have to work at it, and it's going to mean you're going to have to put some time in at home. But then verse 2, to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen in the sanctuary. Man, you gotta, you, I mean, you're going to have to, you got to get in the house of God. If you want to get to know him the way he intends you to, you, you need to be in God's house. Isn't it amazing you go, you go around and maybe you knock a door, you talk to somebody and they, you say, and they say, man, me and God are tight. We got an understanding. Really? What church you attend? I don't. The only one that's happy about that is the God of this world, not him. You don't make up understandings with God. You just simply obey him. Now, I don't know what God we're serving when we can change the word of God and say that it's okay to disobey it. Because my God, the God I serve, doesn't agree with this book, the God of this Bible. Can I tell you that's why? Because it's not the same God. You can Listen, you want to develop a thirst for God, you got to do that in the privacy of your own home. You're going to have to take some time outside of the house of God. You can't just come to Sunday school once a week. You can't just come to church once a week and think you're going to be thirsting after God. you got to do that in the privacy of your own home. Make Him your greatest pursuit, not just on Sunday, but through the week. And then in the house of God. Well, I'll just uh, learn about Him at home. I don't need the local church. You don't know the Bible then. Man, read Ephesians chapter 4 sometime. Man, he talks to us about the gifts that he gives to the church and the necessity of those gifts in order to bring about perfection or maturity in the life of the believer. And not only that, but finally 3 through 5, as we look at those passage, that passage, <laughs> we get to know him through acts of praise. When you start recognizing what God does and you're just lifting him up, you're exalting him, you're magnifying him, I'm going to tell you something, it'll, de it'll develop a thirst in your life for him. It'll help develop that thirst. Hey, we're talking about developing a thirst for God, and that happens by spending time with him. It happens by getting to know him. And number three, it happens when you remind yourself daily what he's done for you. Psalm chapter 143, verses 5 and 6. Let's turn there. Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6. Psalm chapter 143, verses 5 through 6. The psalmist again is speaking, and he says, I remember the days of old. Well, that means he must be looking back. He's looking back, the days of old. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Wow, he has a tremendous thirst. 
an amazing thirst for God. But notice, I think some of that thirst is rooted in what God has already done for him. God has proven himself so wonderful and so big and so capable that he says, man, I need you more than ever. Man, I want more of you. And I need more of you. You notice he says that he meditates on all thy works. And then he goes on to say, I muse on the work of thy hands. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, I'm not so convinced there's that much of a difference. To meditate is to dwell on anything in thought, to contemplate, to study, to turn or revolve any subject in the mind. So again, to dwell on anything in thought, to contemplate, to study. You say, that makes sense. Well, what does muse mean? It means to ponder, to think closely, to study in silence. You say, those sound very, very familiar, very similar. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Do you know what I think? I think we're being given a double-barrel reminder of the importance of dwelling upon, studying, and thinking about the works of God always. I think the psalmist is trying to say, listen, I don't know how many ways I can say it, but let me just give you two. You need to remember the past. You've got to go back and remember what God has done for you. And in so doing, you'll develop this thirst for Him. You'll want more of Him when you remember what He's done for you. When you remember how just 2,000 years ago he walked the dusty trails of Galilee and he found his way to a cross and there they laid him upon that cross and put those nails in his hands and his feet and raised him up between heaven and earth naked to be ashamed before mankind and down into the hole he went until he crashed at the bottom tearing the sinew in his, his hands and feet causing excruciating pain through his body and there they crucified the master for you and for me. Remember what He's done for you. Amen. Remember how He loved you that much. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He died for you. He gave His life for you because He loves you that much. You say, I don't know if anybody loves me. God loves you. I promise you that. I don't feel loved. It doesn't matter whether you feel loved or not. The God of heaven who created you loves you. You say, I don't know. How do I know that? Because he said so, and he cannot lie. He can't lie. People can lie and do often, it seems, but not God. Again, that four-letter word feel, so deceptive sometimes. Remind yourself daily what he has done for you. He was overwhelmed with gratitude. He was engrossed in God's goodness. He was taken by his constant care of him. And in Psalm 8, 4, the psalmist says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visiteth him? Why would you care about me? Little old me, I'm nobody. Why do you care about me? You know what his answer is? Because. Because. Because of what? No reason. Just because I choose to. There's not one thing that I've ever done to earn the favor of God or to receive the love of God. He just loves me. Wow, that ought to put a thirst in our heart. A thirst 
for him in our lives. We will develop a thirst for God when we spend time with him, when we get to know him, when we remind ourselves daily what he's done for us. In 1996, a young Marine corporal named Joey Mora was standing on a platform of an aircraft carrier patrolling the Iranian Sea. Tragically, the phone rang. (laughs) And he fell overboard. (laughs) So Joey fell overboard, and unfortunately for him, nobody even knew for 36 hours. A search and rescue mission did begin, but it was given up after another 24 hours. I mean, nobody could survive in the sea without even a life jacket after 60 hours, they thought to themselves. His parents were notified that he was missing and presumed dead. The rest of the story is one of, you know, truth is stranger than fiction thing. Unbeknown to his fellow soldiers or even his family, Four Pakistani fishermen found Joey Mora about 72 hours after he had fallen from the aircraft carrier. When they found him, he was treading water in his sleep, clinging to a makeshift flotation device made by his pants. You know, it's a skill that you learn in any military survival training course. He was delirious when they pulled him out of the ocean and placed him in the fishing boat. His tongue was dry, it was cracked, and his throat was parched. About two years later, Joey spoke with Stone Phillips of NBC Dateline, and he recounted this unbelievable story, a story of will to live and a will to survive. He'd tell Stone Phillips that it was God who kept him struggling to survive. When asked what was the most difficult thing of it all, Joey said that the one thought that took over his body and pounded in his brain was water. All he could think about was water. All he could dwell on was water. His insatiable thirst consumed him. Until we thirst for God, like Joey thirsted for water, we will never know the blessings that God has for us. We'll never experience the peace that passes all understanding. We'll never know faith that overcomes the world. We'll never possess a joy that strengthens us and provides us with victory in the most difficult times. That'll never happen until we develop a thirst for Him. I wonder, have you met the Master? I mean, have you met Jesus Christ? I think of Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, when he makes the statement, he says, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I want you to know that today, 
the Lord Jesus Christ opens his arms and extends an invitation to you who do not know Jesus Christ and who are thirsting for hope. And he says, I'll give you hope, eternal hope and life. I'll even move into your life and I'll give to you strength and peace and joy and purpose. I'll give it all to you. But you have to thirst for me. And if you'll thirst enough to come to me, I'll save your soul. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I wonder if you died today, do you know for sure heaven's your home? Could you with confidence say, I have no question, no doubt? May I say that that's an easy answer when you're sitting in a church service and you feel like your health is okay, but picture yourself on a deathbed and ask the same question. You can have a peace, not because you feel, but because you can know what he has promised and said. Have you met the master? Have you thirsted for him enough to come to him as your savior and Lord? In just a moment, you'll have a chance to do just that. And then number two, for you who already have, do you thirst for the master? Do you thirst for him like Joey Mora did for water. I want to encourage you to do something this week, and then we're going to close with an invitation, but I want you to find five things in the Bible that God did for others that he has done for you. I want you to think about that, and I want you to look for those things. Find five things, and don't just think about them. Find them in the Bible. Go to, the, go to the actual scriptures and find where God did something for someone else that he has done for you. Do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? Let's settle that in just a moment. You're a child of God today. Will you make a commitment to develop a thirst for God starting today by spending time with him, by getting to know him by reminding yourself daily what he's done for you. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time we've had together. Lord, we know without you we can do nothing. We know that we are desperate for you, and yet, Lord, sometimes, even though we may know it in our head, sometimes, as we said, there's so many things that distract us and keep us from you. Oh, God, may our thirst for you overwhelm us. May it, Father, truly consume us. May we find ourselves wanting you more than anyone or anything else. May pursuing you in our life be our priority. Oh, God of heaven, help us. Maybe at some point, Father, someone in this crowd has had a greater thirst in the past than they do now. Lord, may you help them to confess that and then forsake it and begin to once again seek that thirst and to do the things necessary to, to create it again and then to ultimately allow you to have preeminence in their life, their thoughts, their mind, their work. Oh, God, we need you. And for that soul that's lost without you, may they get saved today. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed today.